Uh, all right, guys. Uh, welcome to an impromptu Absolute Comics. Uh, Scott wanted to hop on, talk about his latest book, Nocturna. We're going to do a special episode talking about the Kickstarter, the book itself, probably just BS about DC stuff and stuff around that. But today's focus is going to be on Nocturna. I am pronouncing that right. Am I? Nocterra. Nocterra. Okay. You went through a name change, so it does, you get points either way. So. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I just realized, I'm like, I think I'm saying that wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna ask. You could tell. I could feel it in your voice. You were like, "Am I? That's correct, right?" I know I'm wrong. <laughs> you just like you sent everybody over to Nocturno, which I'm sure is a teen vampire romance of some sort. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I, any night nighttime thing in it winds up. I, every title we searched was like, "It's a teen vampire high school romance. It's a teen boarding school vampire romance. It's a everything is like a vampire. They're still living on that twilight." Well, let me, oh, let me yeah. when is American Vampire going to turn into a teen, teen vampire romance novel? Yeah. Just yeah, to get, those, just get that money. Just to get that money. You know what I mean? I, we I'm can tell one of those like stories. Way, I feel like the reason Stephen King joined in was mostly as a kind of f*** you to Twilight. Because the initial <laughs> idea, which was so funny, was he he pitched us an idea of for an ad where he wanted Skinner, before it ever came out, it was like before the book was real thing, of Skinner standing on like a, huge heap of dead like pretty boy vampires and it just said i don't sparkle and it was like him with his guns and i was like wow you really hate twilight yeah you're a mad <laughs> you know I, mean, I have my issues and i'm not it's not for me but like it does it i was you know but i get it i get it right it's like vampires are special to him too so <laughs> Okay, so, uh, Scott, why don't we pick up where you were talking before we went live, because you thought we were live. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what gave you the desire to do Nocterra? I got to write that yeah. down, right? Oh, okay. yeah, I, just feel like, I feel like live, not live. I've talked to you guys now. I, like, I feel like, you know, we're just friends. Like, I, I wish it was, like, later having a beer. I'd say the same things offline to you is on, which always gets me True. into trouble, but there we go. So uh, the, the reason I'm doing it, I mean, I spent a lot of time – at DC, the last 10 years, I've loved it. Um, and I couldn't be happier with the, the kind of shape of things over there right now. The, the person in charge, Marie Javens, was my closest editorial friend for the last like three, four years uh, after Mark Doyle and Tay Taylor left. And she's been a great mentor. So um, I've been meaning to step away for a bit for, for the better part of a year. And it just felt like the perfect time. So for me, Nocterra you know, it was a different kind of book. Cause usually when I had DC, I could put a lot of energy into the bombast and the over the top widescreen, you know, big heart, big fisted, big hearted, big fisted sort of storytelling that goes with superhero comics. But the creator own would be a place where I could, you know, try a little bit more elasticity, push myself in different directions, do things like after death, the wake, whatever, um, which is, and so, uh, not being at DC now, like stepping away, it made me want to be like, well, I can actually bring that same kind of over-the-top energy and big uh, kind of comic book epic storytelling muscles to my creator-owned stuff because I don't have another place where I'm doing that. So I wanted to kind of come out of the gate with a book that embraced all the priorities of the storytelling I love on every level and, and with a creator like Tony who's both a friend, like all the way back to when we had to figure out what to do with Joker face stuff back in 10 years ago, he was the guy that we were, they were like, you gotta do something to the Joker, maybe lobotomize him, kill him. And we had to come up with that stuff together. And I was like super green. So I was terrified. I'm like, I don't want to hurt the Joker at all. I like the Joker, you know, and he's like, come on, we gotta do this. Ah. So, I mean, we've been friends ever since and been trying to do something in his style is 
muscular and bold and big emotion, you know, not everything kind of real raw on your, you know, on, on wearing the heart on the sleeve kind of stuff. So it really felt like a perfect match. And so with Noctera, the idea is basically if you, if you haven't heard our kind of elevator pitch, it imagines that tomorrow the sun doesn't rise and instead this darkness envelops the earth. And it's a darkness that changes everything that stays unlit inside of it for 10 hours or more into a monster called a shade. Fan, a plant, like bugs, fish, birds, everything, people. And so it's a really fun world where it's 13 years. The, they call the darkness the big PM in our world. And so this is every year is a new hour into the PM. So they call it, this is 13 PM, which is 13 years in. <laughs> and our main character, Val, is a, um, a trucker in this world. She carries goods and people from outpost to outpost, you know, uh, in the, along these like very deadly and dangerous roads. And so it's a lot of fun. Everybody wears all kinds of crazy light gear or light weapons to, to try and protect themselves from everything out there. Uh, but it's also, it's a personal book. Like I said, the, the fun of this kind of thing is that it gets to marry the high energy, big engine storytelling of superhero stuff with the personal elements of a book like witches. So for me, you know, it's a lot about two things. Like one, uh, when I was growing up and still, yeah, I, I had a lot of trouble with anxiety and depression and uh, a very acute fear of the dark as a kid. And I think a lot of it was that in the dark, all of your fears seem possible, right? And when you're going through anxiety or depression, it's the whole world telling you that all those fears are not only possible or probable, but happening. And your body's like on high alert, like they're happening right now. And so the dark just compounds that. And seeing my kids struggle with it, my nine-year-old has, has a lot of the same issues, you know, with anxiety that I had. Seeing it made me want to write about a, a world in which there is a darkness that's just as scary, if not scarier, than the one we imagine it to be, where everything becomes monstrous and unrecognizable within it. But the only way to get through that is to to find other people to connect with and to to see that there's a real there's kind of a real light in, in connectivity and in collectivism. And so uh, you know, it has a big personal element. It's also just in this, in this zeitgeist, it's not hard to plug in as a writer to a world, or a reader, I hope, to a world where a darkness separates us from each other and changes us into things that are unrecognizable, you know, uh, and monstrous to each other. So it feels really plugged in for me to that third rail of like emotion and resonance when I'm writing it. And Tony brought a ton to the character too, both from his uh, some cultural background stuff, but also as a father to daughters, he, he really wanted to develop this relationship with the brother. So it's a big book, you know, lots of lots of explosions and muscles and monsters and trucks, but it's also a book that we both love working on and want to keep going a long time. So this is kind of like the the engine for my whole creator-owned year. So I'm doing about uh, I, I don't want to sound too crazy, but. They've all been like being worked on in different stages over the years until I finally got the money to kind of just do them all now at once. I had enough money to just really start doing them all. But over the course of the year, we're going to announce about 10 books, like 10, 10 creator Holy owned. Cow. Yeah, let's get that jacket. <laughs> that is a lot of books just, just by you, creator yeah, owned. <laughs> just by me. Just by me. Yeah. So some of them I've been working on for a couple of years and you've seen teased before. So there's one with Francis Manipal that is like, uh, a sci-fi noir. Greg has been Greg Capullo has been teasing the one we're working on uh, together. There's one with um, Tula Lote. We're doing a historical fiction. So and one with Ariella Cristantino for Image. And they're all over the place. Some are some are at some publishers. Some are elsewhere. And we're gonna do like an expo, I think, in the late spring when we have everything kind of scheduled, and then be like, here's the curtain pulled back. Here are all the books, Jock and everyone, and just say, here's everything. Uh, and this is the schedule. This is, I didn't want to do it in trips. I wanted to be like, boom, here's the whole thing. 
go to the website. You can see when everything's coming out. This is my life. This is like my world for the next couple of years, even if I have a foot in DC. And uh, again, and the first book out of the gate, I didn't want to like defy your expectations because a lot of the other books do that. I wanted to be like lean into your expectations and then hopefully because of all the hard work of the team, just surpass them and be like, this is the kind of book I love. Oh, I love it even more because it's, you know, they clearly put a lot of heart into the writing, the art, coloring, everything. And it does that, you know, that to me, as opposed to like other books that are like, oh, you didn't know I could do this, or I, I've never tried this, or I've never worked with this. I wanted this to be like, drive right up the middle and be like, let's celebrate the kind of big storytelling we, we like in comics and just do it as well as we can and say that that just meets and surpasses expectations for being so um, in love and celebratory with the kind of classic comic book storytelling that we all, you know, like. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard um, some advice for comic book writers is to think of the thing you've always wanted to see and then do that, you know, like give that to us. And that sounds like that's kind of heading in that direction where you're, you're like, I have been writing these things for X amount of years, over a decade. I've been producing this stuff. You've seen my, you know, little stuff, huge stuff, you know, universe destroying things. And now you know what to expect. You know what to, what, what, what I'm capable of. How about I produce what I've done, but ratchet it up, give you more, you know, just, just right. what I've always, because, because you, you read the first issue of Noctera and there's, 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 all the hallmarks of what you would of of the the good, you know, where it's character, it's you know, it's and it starts small and it gets bigger. You know, it's about a family, of course, and why wouldn't it be? And then it gets, and then it's the whole world, and and but it it feels like three issues in one, and it's not yeah. a triple sized book. It's just it's thirty pages, and it's like, yeah, it's big, but it's yeah. I want each issue to feel pretty dense, so there's you know a lot of a lot of um a lot of uh economy to it where we want it to be you know there's narration there's like layers to each thing so it's not just a breeze through we want you to feel like you're yeah. getting more than, your, more than your money's worth with each thing so yeah i think that's a problem a big world what yeah. i think that's a problem a lot of comic books are dealing with nowadays because we always see the price changing from like 2.99 3.99 4.99 6.99 and then Hold like the you line at 6.99 one yeah you get the 6.99 and you're like well, why is this only 25 pages then? Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, I never, I mean, with this, like the same thing with all creator own stuff, it was always, how do we do a bigger issue for a little less? How do we make it feel rich? You know, so right. these cold. issues are, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of world building, a lot of narration, character, you know, character layers, that kind of stuff. So did a bunch of drafts, really happy. And, uh, you know, I, I want it to feel like the walking dead or saga and it, not in its tone, but in its, uh, in its, sort of immersive qualities like there are all kinds of stuff like the villain of the book without giving too much away about him because he kind of comes in towards the end um he's one of like my favorite monsters that i've made in a bit where he's bonded to this material that makes him like absorb or reflect no sunlight absorb all light reflect none so he yeah. looks almost like a walking silhouette he's it's a world of kind of truck drivers so he's he has a call sign blacktop bill and everyone has heard of him, but they don't, you know, everyone's afraid of him. You don't know why. So he's a lot of fun. He kind of chases you down on the highways. There are all these characters and these kind of um, legends and folklore and, and locations that we're setting up, the Neon Grove, all this kind of stuff that has this trucker mythology to it in this world that we'll be picking up on in future issues and arcs. So, you know, it's the engine, the, the, it, not to be too, like, not 
too pun intended, but it's like the, I want this book to really um, carry a lot of the other books in terms of this is the juggernaut for me of being like, it has, I love it sincerely. I will go out and clown for it all I need because I care about it and think it's the best. It, it's the, one of the best things I've done. But it's and the team has put. I mean, it's Tony's best work. He'll say himself, you know. And and Tomeo is just out of control to make a dark world that dazzling in color is. And even the letter, Darren. One thing I'd communicate like to people out there is that Darren Bennett and I go all the way back to Batman. He did lettering on a couple really difficult issues that required acrobatic stuff, Batman Forty Four, other things. Uh, and Will Dennis, who's our editor, is like the guy who greenlit American Vampire, and our even our designer. Uh, Emma Price, we're friends, you know, almost 10 years. She's, uh, her family is Cy Spurrier as well. We're, we're all, this team is like, we're, we like each other. We, we always are trying to put story first. I love working with them and I plan on working with them on this for a very long time. So the whole goal is to just give you something you can lose yourself in every month. Just keep going down the road with it. Yeah. I'm excited. The artwork, the story, the presentation, everything about that I've seen so far, I'm excited about. I, I, you sent us over the first issue, and I've just been so busy because I have so many things going on. I'm, I'm oh, yeah, not no trying worries. to pretend yeah. on the air. I, but I tend to reading, but everything I've seen so far just has me excited about the storyline in general. Yeah. I, I, I was curious about this because I didn't – I remember when you pitched this book in, like, very, in the very beginning, and you were like, it's about, it's about truckers. And I was like, <laughs> why trucker? Like, And I remember just being like <laughs> – and I, I like pouring over your old work and, and, and knowing you as a person, I'm like, what, what was it about truckers? Like, why was it like, I want to, I want to really delve into the trucker like mythology and, and what it is to, to, you know, to run a rig and to ferry people and goods. Uh, because YouTube's funny, you know, they, they throw you videos from like 10 years ago that no one would ever watch. And that now it suddenly has a million views because they threw it to everybody. And literally there was a dude who's like, I'm a trucker. Like I just, I saw this video just recently about a dude who's like, would you like to know what it's like to be a trucker? And I watched like it to completion and it's fascinating. And I was wondering <laughs> if it's a similar situation where you're like, I just find truckers neat. Or was it just like, I, it, it was the the need for conveyance, I guess I'll use truckers. Or was it just like, oh, no, no, no. I, I mean, I'm, I mean, it's, I think a big, a big line through all my work is, you know, Americana, things yes. that are kind of indigenous to American pop culture and American iconography and that mm -hmm. stuff. And when I was in my early 20s, uh, I, I had this whole plan that I was going to travel the country and work odd jobs and make my own, you know, I didn't care if I made anything, just like live, live as cheap as I could and just have some experiences. Cause I grew up in New York city. Didn't feel like I had seen a lot of the world. And I had this like romantic idea of just getting out. And so I, I traveled around a bit around the country and worked some much. I worked at Disney world for a while and, and that stuff was a character and janitor. And my big thing after that, you know, after, be getting burnt out on being like Buzz Lightyear and all that stuff. <laughs> wait, wait, you were Buzz Lightyear? Yeah. I was how Buzz are Lightyear. you? And all the times we've talked, how are you just going over that? You're just like, oh yeah, I was Buzz Lightyear for a brief period. Well, yeah. I was, I was a janitor and then I got promoted. I was a roller skating janitor, which was the best because they're called custodians, but someone would be yelling at you or complaining and you could just sort of roll, roll away and slowly <laughs> and just disappear. That's awesome. uh, you wore this crazy outfit. I'll send it to you. It's a picture, but it's like these puffy newsy pants, these white pants, these suspenders, yes. and, and uh, 
And then uh, they had tryouts for characters and I, I went and they made you learn this dance in front of a one, it was like a one-way mirror and there was somebody kind of watching you. <laughs> a dwarf, it was like a dance, like a dwarf from uh, Snow White, where right. it was like the, you know, it was like kind of like very theatrical and like, ta-da, you know, right. and I remember like desperately doing this, like sweating because I was like practicing, you know, you have to learn it in like two minutes and then they eliminate people as you go. And it's like a room huh. full of hopefuls of people from like all the other like dregs of Disney world being like, how do I make it into characters? Cause you're in characters. It's like, even though you still make minimum wage, it's like the best. It was like the, you know, everyone looks up to you even, which makes no sense, but it is what it is. <laughs> right. uh, but um, the highest is like face characters. It's like your face is exposed. And um, yeah. the funniest was like, so uh, I, I remember getting the job and they were like, told me and they were like, you can be Buzz Lightyear. You're, it're all based on your height. So I was like height of Buzz Lightyear, Eeyore, and Pluto. And it was, I, I just like, and I did it for like, I don't remember how many months, but I, I loved it. It was like, and I was in the best shape of my life afterwards because it is like a sauna. They give you eight <laughs> shirts and eight shorts at the beginning of the day because you go out eight times and it's just like oh. sweat through, take it off, sweat through, take it off, sweat through. Oh, wow. Never pee. Just stay oh, there. Sure. Amazing. <laughs> Well, Buzz Lightyear doesn't pee. I mean, Buzz Lightyear was the best because he's made of foam and he's not hot. Nobody wanted to be him because most people in characters they want to be able to be like more emote, like emote more. But I, yeah. Buzz Lightyear was he stands there and he had a stamp, so you'd be like, wham, you just stamp the autograph. <laughs> you'd be like, you're like, you're so strong. You know, you feel him. Oh, you're so strong. You're so strong. Wow, to infinity and beyond. And then you're like, let me have your book stamp. You know, and then yeah. it was the best. I loved it. You are was uh, Pluto was the worst because they grab your tongue and it just drags your head down, you know, and you're like, oh. and you can only see like this. So, you know, with Pluto, it's like you, you, you swing your head so you can see them you know, <laughs> knock the kids over. So you're like, oh my God. Don't knock it's like a submarine where you're like, whoa, yeah. it, it was a good experience. I like, I, I got, I, in fact, like, so I, but the reason I said all this was because I had applied to grad school and uh, my two plans afterwards were to possibly apply for to for trucking. I thought maybe that would be a great way to see the world, uh, see the country. And sure. I was serious about like I love driving, I love driving cross country. I I I loved just being on the road, listening to the radio, all of that. I loved the idea, the romanticized idea in my head at twenty, whatever it was, of the culture of it, all of it. So I, I really did. I love. I've always loved that the the kind of it loved it in the abstract and watched you know ice road truckers and all those shows right, yeah. but then I, I got into school and my parents were just like you are not doing anything but going to school we've had it like you and i'm like what do you mean look look i've made it all the way to characters <laughs> you live in a you're like you're living in a like the a dump and like making minimum wage and you got into school for writing and you know if you pass this up maybe they won't accept you again and i was like who cares because the best part was that Disney came to me and was like, "We, you know, you've been doing so well as Buzz Lightyear. And I was good. I was a good Buzz Lightyear. They were like, <laughs> they were like we have an, you know, we do have a transfer program and they're talking about possibly having some people over to Japan. Uh, and mm -hmm. if you go there at this time, the guy who was telling me about it was like, they have different, um, different requirements in different ways. And you might be able to be Prince Charming over there. Like you might be mm -hmm. tall enough to be Prince Charming or whatever. And that, that was my boss at the time. And I was just like, oh my God, I have, this is it. I have to go. That's why <laughs> I do that. That's the pinnacle. 
And it was like, my parents were just like, we're sending your friend down there. The guy who wrote Severed with me, Scott Tufts, they <laughs> were like, your friend's coming down there and we are pulling you out of this cult. And you are- <laughs> you're in the Disney World cult. <laughs> yes. I was very much like, you know, it was, it was great. And that was, it was such a great experience in terms of, um, you know, it's, it's a fascinating place for all of its like, cause it's, it's so depressing in so many ways where, you know, you, so many people just make so little, uh, and the, the cost of living is low because they give you all the, you get all these deals on living in Orlando, you know, so it makes you feel like you're making more than you're making right. in a lot of ways. And so it's, it's such a, it's such a fascinating and heart-wrenching place in so many ways because there's real struggle and real, you know, real uh, strife. And then you say, you're like, I can't stand it. I can't, I, I'm, I'm so angry at what they're doing with this, this, and this. And then you get out on stage and there's a little kid that wants you to make it magical and you can't help but do it where you're like, you know, and, yeah. and you want it to be because you want that, you want that fantasy to be real, that there is a place where there's no worries and no. So it's it was such an interesting and kind of like just, you know, uh, just a real challenging place to be on all levels. I really loved it. I mean, I love the experience of it, you know, and have such mixed feelings about all of it, you know, yeah. how great it was, but how great a place it can be and how terrible it can be and all of it. So, yeah, yeah I, I like I like trucking. Cool. <laughs> it's actually weird. My dad actually, my dad was a pastor. And then when he moved to North Carolina, he, uh, he kind of retired from doing that. And his next career for a couple of years was actually trucking. He had the license and everything. And he drove around for a while and he only stopped it because my mom did not agree with that at all. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's harder and harder. You know, I was re I read a lot. I was reading a lot about it a couple of years ago. Cause I was thinking about writing, um, before I was writing this, I was, had an idea for something that had trucking in it. And, you know, the, the, the ways that people are pushed and the, the kinds of things they wind up relying on all it's, I mean, it's a tough, tough industry and give them a lot of credit. So the, you know, with this, I, it, this is not like a, obviously in our world, we're carrying people in trucks armored with lights through monster infested roads. So it's quite different yet the what I wanted to bring to it was the, um, the kind of camaraderie or the feeling of being part of a, a kind of a community that, uh, like has each other and very few other people in a way. So not that that's true of all truckers out there or anything like that, but the idea of my fictionalized version of it has this as this, this group of people that kind of sticks together, has their call signs, looks out for each other and is, uh, is kind of an adopted family. So I really, I love writing them. They have like the main character Val and her, um, her, the woman who's like the, the um, CB operator bellwether have this whole history that we're going to explore too. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. There's a, there's some great designs in here, particularly um, the, when I know, you know, obviously uh, Val's costume or outfit yeah. or uniform. Oh yeah. I love that outfit is, design. It's great. Uh, we just saw, I think Greg just dropped his cover. Yeah. Isn't that great? I was so it's, excited. Yeah. He, it's he great. Did it. We showed it yesterday. It's like, and by the way, like not to get too in the weeds, but like, People that were worried, the black and white Greg one is the one in 150. The color one you can just order. So if you, oh, cool. okay, that one is like you can just order the book and have it in color. It's the collectible one. that's like the inked one. Right. Uh, but when when Val is ferrying a group of people and you see like all their different designs, like all the different people who are in the truck who have to, because the idea is, if you are in the darkness for too long, you know you become part of the darkness. You become right. like a twisted version of yourself, uh, and 
so people have to like work have to live in this world wearing lights and I guess it's like up to the beholder like it's however you want to display your lights and however you want to like uh, you know identify yourself you know it's it's like clothing it's like you know just expressing yourself but yeah. through light clothing which is neat and it's so no two people are alike like everyone has yeah. different kind of looks to them yeah um, it's the whole world that he really developed i i love what tony's done with it and tomeo like the idea of making a world that's at night so colorful is a challenge and he's just bringing yeah. it i mean for me like i wanted to also write a book that my kids could read i mean it's not um it's definitely like pg-13 and up like we were yeah, watching a couple of my little one my middle one not my little one's like one so nothing but my <laughs> my nine year old uh he loves Fortnite and he got into uh wolverine because of the skin yeah. in the game and then he wound up watching all the marvel movies and now he has marvel statues and he read dark phoenix saga he's reading everything marvel um but it was fascinating to me how he found his way in and how much it's connected in a, in a different path to get to the direct market yeah. and it appeals to him. Uh, and, you know, we were watching uh, uh, X-Men first class. There's an F-bomb. Yep. There's, you know, it's not, but it's PG-13. So that's kind of the level we were shooting for here without restricting ourselves. It's not a gore fest. A couple of the other books I'm doing have a lot more gore. Um, but this one is really kind of, Spielbergian and it's like big hearted horror kind of uh, elements. Um, but it was interesting to me because a lot of it was about, like I was, you were saying, building a world, like a whole ecosystem of characters where it's like yeah. a design element where it mirrors the way kids customize their own characters and video games and all that stuff where there's a feel of this being a world you can lose yourself in. And you'll yeah. see characters dressed all different ways, all with this weird priority of lighting themselves. There's characters with candle hats, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> We're like, if they go out, they go out, you know? And you're like, really? But then there's like, <laughs> characters with like, you know, like big LED specialized electric suits. And so yeah. it's, it's huge fun. And, you know, I wanted it to be something that they could pick up and be like, this is, you know, this isn't too, too dark for me. This appeals to me in terms of its world building and it's cool character. And Val has a lot of great stuff. To, I, I mean, Val is a, a character I love. She, she grew up, uh, she has some of Tony's, um, sort of uh background and, and interest in her as well like in her whole dna but uh you know for me it was really about creating a character that had experienced that stuff i was telling you about earlier that like you know that feeling of that the dark when you're having anxiety or depression and you feel like the dark is the real world like all these things that are not real your worries your fears that are so acute at that moment that that's all there is um and then coming back into the real world for a moment it doesn't feel real when you when you learn how to manage those kinds of um dark periods in your life if suddenly yeah, for a minute right. it's like this this can't really be as sunny and real as this because i was just in this horrible place <laughs> and so for her that's who she is she grew up for five years in that place because she was legally blind as a kid she was an orphan uh raised uh, uh in mexico and then uh brought here over it brought to the states to be adopted at age five and um, she uh, had corrective surgery and all these spots, the, the bad cataracts, all that were suddenly gone. And, you know, she really believes that world she was in where people were not kind and the world wasn't kind. All of it was the real one. So she's a special character to us. Her call sign, I love it. She's sun dog. The thing on her face is the way she saw the sun as a kid. That's revealed like in issue three. She made that her call sign to remind herself how she made it through. A sun dog is like a fake 
fake, um, it's a, a, an, a optical illusion that the sun is on the right, like sun spots when they're not really there. Oh. So that's why she's called that. Like, so she's a really, um, a really uh, sort of richly built character in terms of the contributions that Tony made, contributions that, um, you know, Tameo brought to her that hopefully I brought to her to make something that, you know, with her that would feel engaging, compelling, and a character you want to stay with. And her brother, Emery. I like Emery a lot. He's kind of the bright spot. Yeah, Emery's a lot of fun. He's he's uh, he's got that child-like... I mean, he is a child, but like his exuberance is... He, he has this eternal optimism despite what you find out about him. And it's kind of like... It's nice. It's nice. It's just... It's just it's a good dichotomy. And of course, Mickey's like, he's like the voice on the kind of other... On the other end of the of the radio and then you get to see him and it's yeah it's a lot of fun i love um, um did you you were you were writing this before the pandemic yeah it was so that's how you time, ended up on kickstarter isn't it i thought because of the yeah. pandemic got in the way and you were like well we gotta do something yeah <laughs> like yeah exactly where we really we were kind of like uh what do we do and image was good i mean image was like you just you can wait and we'll we'll help with page rates on the other side if you need them which you know we were okay but it was more like uh the feeling of not wanting to be a burden to anybody and not wanting to worry or stress about it and wanting to create something that would offer people in an honest way a connection to the book and a way in so they felt part of the creative team and part of the process and could see it and i hope that people by the way like as an update the i was gonna do it yesterday but i my um the manager camilla was amazing wanted to wait till monday just to be safe but the books are being shipped out now from the warehouse in um ohio so they'll actually get to people really soon within like you know a week or two so you'll have them well before the, the comic book comes out but the fun will be uh for people that bought that to see the vast difference between the kickstarter and the comic like the narration is different the dialogue is different there's a lot of a lot that I changed, and I the whole idea is to to let you into the entire process. So if you get comic after you have that, you can see why I changed things based on Tony's art, and then figure out, oh, I see Tony did this based on his script. Tony changed the words. That's what you see in the black and white. The script is the original. Tony's art is his interpretation, and then the final that you get now is my reaction to his art. So you see the whole process in one thing. That's but really yeah, cool. it gave us enough money to be able to make sure that we um, could produce the book no matter what the economic volatility was. And it also helped me pay for the book afterwards for um, Chain with Ariella Cristantino, which is a totally different kind of book. It's like a, a, like a kind of almost like a murder. It's like a clue, like that kind of a lockbox mystery, but it's mm -hmm. in the Arctic as the world's falling apart. So it's, it's totally different. It's like no narration, really stark, really, really... Uh, you know, uh, kind of hard hitting in a different way. So. Gotcha. And the reason I brought it up is because there's an element in here where you, in order to see if people are infected, you know, you, you, you check their, you check their gums. gums. Yeah. And it reminded me of in today's, you know, health climate where you need to check people's like temperatures before they enter a, you know, in any kind of business and stuff like that. And it just, it, it seemed interesting how it, kind of echoes or at least it infuses this new world order we are in before it even took hold like you were you were, you were kind of like hitting on things and where we were going 
before we even got there and now it's here and it's like oh you must have always been planning on like kind of infusing this idea of oh we got to do health checks we got to checkpoints and stuff like that well, that, like, some of that yeah, stuff was added after so i mean oh, really okay well, i was writing it before but a lot of the a lot of the smaller elements like that and emery spoiler to everybody but uh emery they worry emery might be infected with this stuff that stuff, the, the urgency of that came later as a big part of issue one as opposed to issue two or three. And it felt like it was more important to kind of have it in there to, to echo the way the world felt. You know, the yeah, book is right. largely, again, about finding each other in a darkness that separates us and makes us kind of monstrous to each other. Yeah. So it felt like. So, so it's a perfect parallel to the world right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why, honestly, you know, you always say, like, it's funny because. I don't know, man. I it, like, especially in this moment, I, I think it's interesting that so many people are flocking to creator owned as readers. I mean, I think there's a big, you can see there's like a giant boom in creator owned with books selling over a hundred thousand and, and more support on Kickstarter for comic books. And I don't know if it's just like, I think about it a lot, but I don't know if it's like the, like a kind of burnout um, a little bit on the big, big corporate superhero um stuff only because and nothing disparaging about it. i love all of it so does everybody but you've gone through this 10-year cycle of these amazing movies ending on a, like a masterful you know avengers endgame and you're kind of like okay in comics when that happens you go to watchmen and you go to the boys and that stuff and in in television and pop culture i think the audiences right now are almost like into um the stuff that was more deconstructive and more yeah. kind of analytical and yeah. and more sort of um less big tent and more uh like for you and and more niche and uh i think that's also driving people to indie comics because readers right now feel like they want something that's more theirs and i think the way superhero companies are handling this stuff is smart you know dc is is branching out a lot with emergent voices and digital and you can see with infinite frontier there's a lot of tests with different types of things you're doing with characters and also in pop culture, you see like WandaVision and, uh, you know, all these things that are much more tailored for specific audiences or that are more kind of edgy, they give you the, instead of the big tent superhero epic. And yeah. I think that people are coming to indie stuff in a, in, a, in a really interesting way right now because they want things that are more their own. And you tie that also to a growing readership of kids that find comics through other medium and find them in a way that they want things customized and theirs and that aren't you know, don't want like a giant superhero right away. They come from manga and anime and all that stuff as well. And you're gonna, you see this influx and I think you, you're already starting to see like this, the sales are funneling up and you see Jeff Johns and Gary Frank coming over to do a big, I think you're going to see a return to a lot of muscular storytelling too. Like that kind of big epic stuff. Like we're trying to do in Noctera because um, I think there's an audience for it again right now. I think people are coming back for, you know, to find their next favorite Walking Dead or their, that kind of stuff too. Yeah. I think it's the, uh, the exact same reason right now manga is getting such a big boom here in the American audience. Because I was getting asked this the other day, everyone's like, well, why isn't like all the DC comics and the Marvel, why is manga selling so well in comparison to the big dogs? And my thought process was it's because DC and Marvel – as they keep doing these big events, like nothing against death metal or, or against King of Black, Black, but they're big sprawling events. It becomes more and more intimidating to get involved in these kinds of things. It turns into a situation where it's like, well, we're on issue six. Okay. Well, you got to read all like for King and Black, Black right now. It's like, you got to read all of Venom and you got to read all right. the King and Black and you got to read all the Valkyries over here. And you got to make sure you read all one, one through 30 of Venom. 
And it becomes this like almost like a checklist of things you have to read while going, getting into a manga. My Hero Academia is a great example because it's pretty much linear. You just right, start volume, volume one, one to 30 and you, you're golden. Right. I feel like Indy yeah. falls into that same category where it's like, for taking Noctera for an example here, the design looks amazing. How do I get to know about this character? You read volume one. Right. Yeah. There you yeah. go. <laughs> I, I totally agree. And I think it speaks to also the way that readers right now, and I think this is this, you know, just a generational shift and a zeitgeist shift. And I think it's exacerbated by the fact that we we're becoming so subjective in our viewing, like that you're home and you have all these new streaming options and people are getting more used to being curators of their own experience. Like yeah. and, and you're, you're having more options and Netflix is yeah. all over the place and everything is exploding with, with IP everywhere, with intellectual property, new content every day. What's new, what's new. There's a sense of finding things that are your own and encapsulated and, and self reliant. That's like, and if you want to explore the whole world, you can, but it's yours and you found it. And I think that's why I think you'll see a big wave of shows like Lock and Key, other things becoming more and more successful because people want to find series that they connect to that are their own in this like big roiling sea of possibility. Whereas you don't, you, you don't necessarily want, it's not that you don't want a big superhero thing, but it's more like you've had a lot of that. You're ready for things that are yours. And yeah. that's, I think that's the, the comic audience, but I think the younger audience was just born with wanting things that are more theirs. And I think yeah. it's the challenge of superhero companies to figure out how to market to them. I also think it has a lot to do with things like TikTok and everything. Because if you oh, if yeah. you think about it for a moment, when you're watching a TikTok, a TikTok in 15 seconds has to tell you everything that's going on in the joke or what they're right. trying to say or anything instantaneous. Whole and if story. you look at if you look at things like an indie book or a uh, manga, you can look at one book. Okay, I know exactly what I got to read. But if like if you want to get into the history of Batman, it, there's a whole wiki for it. <laughs> and like, I don't think people want to take that time to look into that history. They want to go, how do I read it now? <laughs> right. And that's it. They want to lose themselves in something immediate. And I think, yeah, yeah. I just think that it's a, it's a cultural shift. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, it was interesting because I was talking to Marie the other day and um, I got to speak to some of the higher ups like Daniel Cherry at DC, which was great. And, and it was so interesting was talking to them about the ways that they're moving the machinery there in, in sort of turning different knobs where the direct market is they're really counting on it to be strong in its own right. And, and they're doing things that are bold and they're also classic, but they're, they're, they're have a really interesting view that I think is correct about trying to also use digital for emerging um, characters, emergent creators using it so that nothing seems competitive. It doesn't seem like, well, we're trying to put this book in the direct market where it might not survive yet. Instead, we're going to try and grow an audience in a new way and attract them through Instagram, attract them through TikTok, attract them through our app, attract them through uh, collaborations with companies that, that these the kids might want to see these characters on so that they're brought in different ways. Like my kid, like I said earlier, found through Fortnite. You know, that that thinking is smart, in my opinion, and trying to, to, to do mature label reader and market that yeah. differently. One of the things they were talking about is what do you think would be a good collaboration with Metal? And we were like, you know, Metal's audience is a comic book audience, like a, a, a direct market audience. You want like drums, guitars, you want like cool, you know, like that. They're not, it's not the place where necessarily you're going to go to TikTok or whatever, but for right. other, not that you don't, I'm just saying understanding that, uh, understanding the specificity of, of audiences and the way to approach them, not in some predatory like way, but 
to try and get them excited about something that you're doing because it actually has, you know, uh, ties tonally, ties uh, in spirit to the things that they're responding to. That's, that's a good challenge. You know, I think it's a good moment in that. And the people in charge I know are thinking in those terms. So it's not like people tired of superheroes, the end. Now they want this. I, it's more of a much, it's a much more conf, confluent kind of Venn diagram, in my opinion, where it's more like people, yes, they're kind of maybe burnt on superhero movies, but not on really good superhero shows that focus on a character here, there, the Mandalorian, for example, they might be burnt on Star Wars giant epics, but not on that. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm in that boat right there. I can't, I don't, I'm not a fan of the movies at this point, but that show is amazing. <laughs> I wrote, you know what I mean? And that, that same kind of thing where it's like, oh, you, you figured out that like that that's the, that's the turn would i go into the theater to see another big star wars movie right now probably not not because i hated all of them or anything but i'm burnt on it you know i'm burnt yeah like i saw everything but when i watched them in 100 percent, i love my kids love it you know that yeah. so it's that it- it's that interesting kind of maneuvering and figuring out where things where things are with your audience for the kind of thing you're doing and making sure you try and do it honestly or with integrity i think about reaching out to the right people so yeah. With Nakara, that was the goal: was to not pretend it's something it's not. Be like it's, you know, you like trucks and monsters, and you know, uh, like <laughs> aliens. It's like Fury Road meets Aliens was Tony's line, and it's why not? I love those things. Yeah. Go for it. I'm there. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny how you, um, when you make something that is for a niche, or you, you're making something that is gonna be attractive to someone who's looking to own it. Uh, the because the execution hopefully is you know pure and from a story perspective and wanting to make something that you know is personal um you end up sometimes the authenticity of that bleeds through and becomes something that like a lot of people enjoy like mandalorian feels kind of specific it feels kind of niche everyone loves it and it's like when that happens like when you when you hit on something fundamental even if it is for a niche audience, it can have that kind of like ripple effect that affects and becomes like a kind of like phenomenon. It is. So it, it's about, yeah. it's about sincerity, man. And, and it's one of the funny things that, you know, I tell my students when they're coming into superheroes, uh, when I was teaching the workshop, it was always like, you've got to be able to write your fears and hopes and anxieties through these characters and be vulnerable. Otherwise it's not going to be original because everything's already built. The only thing you have going in is, what is it that you want to say through these characters or have them make you be brave in the face of and all that stuff. And when you're doing your own stuff, it's inherently that as well. And what you start to realize is like, I think there's kind of a, you know, there's almost like a, well, we don't want to do, you don't want to do like big blockbuster stuff creator own wise, because that's for over here. And you know, you do your real personal stuff. And I think for a lot of us, like the honest truth and the thing that I've been saying for years to, and I know my friends feel this way, is that it's not like, you know, oh, I do this for money, the superheroes, or I do this for the, the clout or to elevate my platforms so that I can sell my stuff. I do it because I f-ing love Batman and I love <laughs> characters and I love writing that way. And I, you, you can I tell you do because of the amount of times you've said, this is my last Batman. But I'm gonna write this Batman because <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm clear of it. I'm clear of it for a while. No, I'm waiting for the next Batman. I read all your Batman. I'm just saying, like, we can tell how much you love Batman as a character because even when you're like, look, I didn't lie. I'm writing Justice League. So, <laughs> right. Well, watch. I'm like Dagger, who's like, I won't be singing Satisfaction when I'm 50, and now he's like 80, and he's still up yeah. there doing the dance. But the 
No, the, the, the feeling really is like, um, you know, I think you have to just be honest with yourself as a writer. And if you love corny, big, sincere, big hearted, fun stuff, stop worrying about being cool and just do it. You know what I mean? Right. That's, that's my thing is I'm not cool. You know, I'm not been, I'm not like, I'm just, I'm a dad. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, <laughs> but, but my, I will say like my, for better or worse. And there are plenty of people that hate my stuff. That's totally fair. I'm, you know, God bless you for even looking at it, whatever. But the, I'm not insincere about what I write. Like when I take a character, you know, I'm Superman. I love Superman. I'm writing Superman because, and I want it to be as big and, you know, I don't try and, I'm not trying to to do it for, for reasons of, there's no manipulation where I'm like, I'm writing Superman to, to boost my viewers or not. Right. none of that. And what I'm saying is like, if you're, if you love being bombastic shit, then do it, like have fun and celebrate it and say, I love summer blockbusters. I'm going to do one for myself over here at Image. You know what else I love? Historical fiction. I'm doing that with Tula Lote in Best Jacket. There's no monsters. There's no ghosts. There's no, there's no horror. It's literally about a barnstormer flying across the country and having adventures along the way in the 19 teens. And that's it. I love it. And I, so that's what I'm saying is like, just do what you want to read and that's it. Don't worry about, you know, is this going to change who I am and the brand? And if you love it, what what you want to do is your, what you love to read and make is your brand. I just, I don't know. I get, I get, I have a lot of, I passion for that with my, I feel like my students sometimes I'm trying to like almost just, be like, don't don't worry about you know. Are you going to ruin your street cred if you right. do if you do like you know Justice League anthology where it's a feel good book? It's like if you love it and you want to do that, then that is who you are, and it doesn't matter if it's like you know changes people's perception of you're a dark, whatever kind of brooding, yeah. whatever it is. Like that's you. Be that. You know. So that's why I just don't, I don't have a lot of reservations about going in there and saying, I'm going to do a big monster trucker book and that (laughs) fun with it because I love the book. So, right. I mean, I've had that argument about a lot of things. People try to define themselves by what they think they should be doing as opposed to just do what you want to do and have fun with it. And if you make something amazing, the world's going to receive that. And if it does, if it isn't amazing, as long, as long as you had fun doing it and you felt connected to it, you've created something amazing. doesn't matter how it's perceived. Oh yeah, American books that are really, you know, like After Death was something. We still, I still get it. Like it's almost like I get a bill from Image because you know it's like, <laughs> like, no really. Like I mean that was not and that, but that book is one of my favorite. This is the on my thing right here. This is the picture that Jeff Lemire gave me. I have oh. very few things in my office, but that's one of them where it's like because that book really it's extremely personal to me, and I'm so proud of it. And yeah. that's what I mean is I don't. I didn't do that. I, you know, to, to, I just did it because you love do it because I love that subject matter and that stuff. And I love working with my friend and that that's, if you don't proceed that way, I mean, it's a luxury to get to proceed that way. I understand. But if you don't proceed with a matter of creative integrity for yourself on some level, you know, it just shows through so quickly with superheroes, because again, the only way to make them shine is to put something of yourself in it, to care enough to, to care enough to, to be vulnerable through them on the page. Otherwise, like you're, you're just going to be, it's 80 years of history. You're never going to make something original unless the originality comes from you, like your, right. your own emotionality somehow. Yeah. Plus like when you produce something for yourself, you 
even if it doesn't sell or it doesn't hit the audience at the right time, at least you're satisfied. Like the worst thing is if you have like a, like a, like a bibliography and you're like, this is the period where I tried to grow my brand and I'm really not proud of it. Like that, that sucks. <laughs> and I, look, I've been there. I mean, I'll tell you this and then um, I won't take up all your day, but the, uh, you know, when I started out, like uh, I always wanted to be in comic books, but I, um, I wanted to be a comic book like artist writer and I wasn't good enough. And uh, I fell into into writing more. And it was a moment when there was a real exciting moment in prose writing for new writers when I was in college and a lot of short story writers making it young writers. And I got swept up in a lot of that. And um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I wound up coming out of grad school after this kind of period of, you know, messing around after college. And, uh, and uh, I got a book deal. I was really lucky. I got a book deal out of grad school. Have I told you this before? I don't remember. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know we've familiar, talked about no. your prose, but it doesn't, anyway, yeah. like, yes. we've had a lot of stories at this point. <laughs> it was for like a short story collection that I did. And then it was for the novel afterwards. And so at the time I was pretty naive. I didn't realize like the money is really at the weighted at the end towards the novel, not at the beginning. <laughs> so it was a sizable book deal. Um, but it was really for the book that I hadn't written yet. And so as I'm writing this book, you know, I'm like, it'll be no problem. I love it. It's a historical fiction and they liked it. And uh, it started to dawn on me that unless they really loved it and bought it, like took it, I, I wouldn't money. Uh, and we had just at the time, this is like 2007, uh, just, you know, um, gotten pregnant with Jack and uh, bought a house, a uh, tiny little place out here. Um, Jeannie got a loan because she was a med student. And um you know, I was like, oh, I have money coming in. And then realizing suddenly, not only did you not, but you were contracted to do this book or they could actually ask for some of the money back that they had paid you for the <laughs> advance. Right. There was Random House and being like, they don't mess around. Like, they're going to come after me. And then being like, you know what? What do you want this book to be? <laughs> and then being like, well, the economy just crashed in 2007, 2008. It better be a bestseller, you know, or something that feels that way. <laughs> yeah. It should feel that way, or you know, we might not give you the money. But they were very like, by the way, like what the people I was dealing with were amazing and nice and that. But that was the, you know, that was just the corporate feel. Yeah, yeah. So um, I went into a period of about a year, at least a year, I think. Really, it must have been over a year where I was working on this book every day teaching, tutoring, doing all kinds of stuff to try and make money on the side um, and hating it, like hating every single day of my life, like going down and working on this book that I had loved because all I wanted to do was make it something that would be a bestseller that they would, they would buy and pay right. for that we weren't broke. And it was during that period that I, I, I wound up being so miserable. Uh, and I was I mean, super depressed, just like drinking too much, everything. And my wife was like, a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to write a short story for a anthology that was superheroes, like make your own superheroes. Like, sure. And it was the most fun I had had in, in years just doing this. And my wife was like, why are you doing that? You know, if you do this, like, you know, we can pay our bills. And I'm like, I just want to have fun for like two weeks. Like, let me do this. And she was like, all right. And then that attracted Mark Doyle and Janine Schaefer who, who wound up asking me to pitch for comics. And I started pitching and again. My wife was like, you know, these comics pay like, $70 a page, $60. Like, again, yeah. like, you can't make anything. And I was like, I know, but I'm so unhappy. And this is the only thing right now that's making me happy creatively. Can I do it on the side? And she was like, no, why don't you take out a loan with me and we'll against my stuff and we'll do that. Cause you look happy doing that. 
and dissolve the book deal and pay them back what you need to pay them back. And let's just start over with it. And I mean, to this day, I'm so grateful to her for that. Yeah. And I remember just being like, you know, really? And, and, uh, and Random House was great. They never asked for money back. I hadn't taken a lot. I mean, it was only like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like tens and tens of thousands of dollars. Maybe. Right. But still like, and so for that point forward, I swore to myself, no matter what, no matter like what dire straits we were in, I would never be doing this job for money in that way. I would do whatever else I could do or be a stay-at-home dad while she was at the hospital and working, whatever. But that feeling of going to work at the job you're supposed to love, hating it more than anything in life was the worst year of my life. Like just feeling like I hate this. Like I, I hate everything about it and feeling it hurts your, like your stomach feels shitty. Like while yeah. you're writing something, you're like, and they, you know, and then they kiss and, and you're like, this is not supposed to have any romance, but it's supposed to be a bestseller, you know? And then the <laughs> explosion and you're like, are there even explosions? It's 1918. You know, like what are your, <laughs> well, something has to be flammable. It'll work. Yeah. It'll work. <laughs> yeah. It was just terrible. Like, you know, yeah. and so, not to, sorry to go down such a rabbit hole, but the point I'm trying oh, to make is that I'm, I'm a deep believer in like, you know, as much as it's a luxury and I know it's a privilege to be able to say, you write what you care about, write what you care about. And, and if you can have a different day job than writing to pay your bills, if you, um, if you have to have something to pay your bills, that isn't writing, like do that. Don't, don't, like breaking in by writing things you hate or don't believe in is only going to lead to, I've seen so many creators, like that you, you start doing that and you lose, you lose your compass a lot of the time. And you're like, well, I can do that. And that'll get me to the next thing. And then the right. next thing I'll be able to do what I want to do. But then the problem is readers didn't really respond to your first thing. You don't get more freedom on your second thing. Right. You know? Cause it didn't sell as well. And they didn't respond to it. And then you're trapped. And then it's the yeah. cycle of like, well, I'll take whatever they'll give me. And then I'll get to it. And then you just see it over and over, you know? Yeah. Wow. Anyway. All right. I mean, that's super insightful. Uh, yeah. Especially, yeah. Especially stuff to think about right now is like with everything I've got going on and like, I'm trying to work into getting into comics myself, just a lot of stuff to think about, but let's, let's end today's podcast with Noctera. Um, at the pitch right now for anybody who has not pre-ordered it, has not bought it is under the Kickstarter. How, what do you want to tell them to get them to go out there and do it right now? Yeah, well, I'm, honestly, I just, first of all, thank you. Cause the initial orders are higher than we had hoped. Um, you know, really grateful to everybody, but on, if you just want a fun, scary, personal read, this is for us, like, again, this is our big Spielberg summer blockbuster, but it's got a lot of heart. It's stuff that we care about. And it's uh it's, it's a really fun ride and I'm proud of it deeply. Like what the work that the team is doing and, I think it's the kind of thing that I, I hope people enjoy and, and feel ha is resonant for this moment. And at the same time, is like so fun that you can't put it down. That's my, that's my hope. So, you know, and again, just thank you to everybody who gives me a, a chance on any of it. And it's a blast taking a moment on a Friday to get to talk to you guys. So I, oh, yeah, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. I, yeah, it's always I, our I say, come on, and I, I'm like lying on the couch. I feel like saying you my personal years <laughs> and whatever I should pay you. But it's good. <laughs> well, All right, I, guys. I, I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, it, it's it's good. I've read it. I, I've never seen Tony Daniels' art be better than it is in this book. book. Uh, the story's fun. Like, you should read it. It's, it's good. Check it out. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't read it yet. I've gl- glanced through it, but it was sent yeah. to me a couple of days ago. I've just, for anybody who knows what's going on, I just have a lot going on right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to call <laughs> I, I didn't even read this week's comic, so I'm, I'm Unlike some people, I actually read it, and it's really good. No, just... <laughs> Thanks, Sal. Anyway, yeah, just throwing thank you, you so under much the for ring. joining us for today's Absolute Comics. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, G Fuel. G Fuel go to the gfuel.com, use the code COMICS at checkout, become a pro Fortnite player like Scott's kid. <laughs> i got him g fuel for christmas he has it on the shelf no shit so, nice. yeah you got you can't play fortnite and not do g fuel uh i did want to say one quick thing it's funny that you say that about your son getting into wolverine because of fortnite because when everyone was giving fortnite crap for doing the marvel that was my entire argument it does it doesn't matter if it's in continuity or not this is going to get people interested in these superheroes so yeah. you are you are an example of that <laughs> i'm telling you i'll show you a shelf it's frustrating because it's all marvel but it's like <laughs> I really, I think you do Stan Lee up being like, "Oh, these Wolverines are cool, but this Batman, though, you know, yeah, exactly. like, well, you slip the Batman, Batman statues have been in the house for ten years, and yeah, he's never cared." So, yeah, you have a good one, uh, and the and don't forget, guys, uh, I, uh, this show, this episode is also brought to you by my Bloodshot issue number twelve. Go pre-order it now. Issue number 12, I wrote a four-page backup, and the back of the book uh, is just a recap of Bloodshot. It's more uh, more drawn than narratively done, but it's amazing artwork. It came out really well. I'm super proud of it and super proud that it's getting published. And if you want to support us here at the channel and keep the show going, please consider going to pick up that book, pre-ordering that book right now, and going to our G Fuel sponsor, gfuel.com. gfuel.com, use the code COMICS. There we go. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Let's cut the recording.